Welcome to the Marketers That Matter Visionaries Podcast, hosted by Nadine Dietz, the GM of Marketers That Matter and EVP of 24-7. The marketing landscape is constantly changing, but we believe that when marketers at the forefront come together to share insights, you can confidently lead yourself, your teams, and the industry into the unknown. The future is here, and it's moving fast. So let's bring on the visionaries from today's top brands pioneering the future and get this conversation started. I'm so happy to have Lee Applebaum and Jason Brown here from Wheels Up and Network, uh, two very hot, cool brands that are living the experience economy. So we're going to talk about what that means. I want to thank our partner, The Wall Street Journal, and our parent company, 24-7, for making this new show a reality. For those of you who don't know 24-7 of Marketers That Matter, Marketers That Matter is a community of marketers who come together to support one another, sharing best practices and great tips, which you'll hear here today. And also 24-7 is a talent company who helps build out great teams with marketers and creatives. So with that, let's bring on some very exciting marketers to the show. Lee Applebaum, CMO of Wheels Up, and Jason Brown, CMO of Network. Hi, good Jason. Morning. Hi, good Hi. morning. Hi, Lee. How's it going? Great. Excellent. Are we ready for this? This is going to be fun. Let's go, guys. All right. Well, let's go then, Jason. How about we start with you? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Give us a perspective of your career journey, what your role is today, and, and what, do you, what does your team look like today? Sure. Well, my career journey, I would say that I am very, very lucky. I'm probably one of the few people that have pretty much always had the opportunity to work in career in which I was very, very passionate about. And I won't be able to go through the whole thing, but just say, we'll say that, you know, I started as one of the youngest interns ever at Def Jam Records. I've worked in sports, media, CPG and retail. Most recently, before Network, I was the head of marketing at Foot Locker. Um, for those that don't know, Foot Locker Inc. has about four banners under their umbrella, service marketing, uh, VP of marketing for each of those banners. Before that, I was lucky enough to be recruited by Pepsi to launch their NBA partnership. So you can imagine me being a basketball fan, culture fan, creating the Uncle Drew movie and being producer of that, in addition to having maybe 15 athletes, 12 different relationships there. Prior to that, I oversaw a partnership with NBC Sports and Red Bull called the Red Bull Signature Series, traveling the world, putting on some of the best action sports events that the human has ever seen. And then even before that, working in the context of fashion um, and additional media careers as well. So. Quick snapshot, you could tell culture is at the root of pretty much everything that I've been doing the past 20 years. Amazing. We're going to come back and talk about culture as well. So, Lee, how about you? Yeah, that's, uh, Jason, that's a tough one to uh, to, to top. And uh, it's interesting, Jason and I were talking, we actually intersected in athletic footwear. I, at very early in my career, I won't date myself at, at foot action, which was later sold to Foot Locker. So maybe in some weird way, the mantle was handed to uh, to Jason many years uh, down the line. Um, and Lee gave me an alley-oop. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, and interestingly enough, on opposite sides, uh, your time at PepsiCo and mine at Coca-Cola, which is where I started my career uh, in, in CPG. And I think as for many marketers, having that sort of blue chip background instills some of the disciplined thinking that I think benefited me in my career, whether it was in, in other CPG or luxury brands, 
in retail during my, my time uh, in Asia Pacific working for Target. And then later when my partners and I uh, ran Patron Tequila, which we, we sold to the Bacardi family. It was a privately held company uh, that we owned and we sold it to the Bacardi family about four years ago. At that time, interestingly enough, I, I've been flying wheels up as a member. So very blessed to have been flying wheels up basically since the company's inception almost eight years ago. So I was a, I was a customer. I was then a board member at Wheels Up. And uh, eventually when the company decided in earnest that we were gonna take the company public, uh, we did it going on almost a year ago, I decided uh, to jump into the management team. So we, we make a joke, you know, when you're the customer, you're always right. And when you're on the management team, you're seldom right. So I, I've kind of gone the opposite direction, um, but it's been a, a very, very lucky and, and blessed career working with uh, interesting brands tremendous people across a, a variety of different verticals. Yeah. Well, and, and Lee, let's keep going for a moment because let's talk about Wheels Up. I think maybe some people know it, some people don't, but it is sitting right in the heart of what we're calling the experience economy. Can you share what that means? And then Jason, we're going to come to you and check out Network. Yeah. You know, it's crazy. I was looking just as a matter of history. The experience economy was coined, I think, in 98, right? So it's 20 for 24 years We've been talking about the, the, the experience economy on the back of the service economy, which came before it. And so, you know, wheels up, Jason's business as well, very much at the heart of that in and private aviation. This isn't like a newfound term. It is an absolute secular trend. I mean, when you're talking about a couple of decades of experience economy. And one of the things when, when we went public, people talked about we went public, you know, kind of in the heart of COVID. And the question was, you know, what has COVID done for, for your business? And, and to be the beneficiary of COVID, that's always a dodgy thing to talk about. But certainly, it, it was a tailwind for us. It was an accelerant. But it was an accelerant of an experience economy trend that's been around for a really long time. And, and I know we're all going to, you know, really kind of double click on all of this. But particularly in our business, which is, I thought tequila was you know, totally irrational and totally discretionary, flying private, it's total, I mean, absolutely irrational, completely discretionary. But I think the, the experience economy has taught us to value things in a very, very different way. And even though flying private still remains elusive for many, um, and we'll talk more about that, the opportunity to, to move from, Nadine, we had talked prior about this idea of, you know, not being well-traveled, but traveling well, the quality of the experiences that you have versus the quantity and creating those moments that matter are very much at the epicenter of our brand. Yeah, absolutely. Totally appreciate that. And, and Jason, Network is such a different business from Wheels Up, and yet you share so many similar ideas. You want to talk about that, or would you like me to roll the video first? Your choice. Okay, I think the video will provide the proper context, and then we can dive into it. All right, so we have entertainment for you folks. We didn't, didn't mention that up front, but we've got some entertainment here. Welcome to the network, everyone. Let's jump into it. Where the world comes to shop, watch, connect. With the culture's best creators, art, collectibles, food, home goods, gaming, music, NFTs, sports, and more. Curated for the most passionate fans on the planet. Live virtual festivals creating value and engagement on secondary markets, making headlines, recognized as America's leading live streaming shopping platform. 
that was fun. Awesome. Thank you for that. Absolutely. So tell us what is network? What are you doing there? Sure. So um, about four years ago, uh, our CEO and founders, Aaron Levant and the two founders, Gaston and Jamie, saw what was going on in China with live commerce, live shopping, and thought that if we could take what was happening there and translate it to passionate fans of culture domestically, we'd be able to create something phenomenal that America has never seen before. And I think what's at the heart of it is one, the experience of shopping on network, because one, you're not a website where you're just clicking a product and adding it to a cart. You're actually having the opportunity to hear directly from the creator who put their heart and soul into whatever this exclusive coveted product is. In addition to that, you're able to ask that person questions. You're able to also interact in the chat with other people who are also passionate about that same category and that same creator. And when you think about all of the various categories that we play in, whether that's art, whether that's sneakers, whether that's fashion, apparel, home goods, et cetera, within that you have distinct communities. So in essence, what it also does at the end of the day is provides a level of social currency that allows someone, whether they're going to school, whether they're talking to their friends to say, dude, did you see what happened on network? Did you see FaZe Clan and Takashi Murakami? I tried to buy the jersey, but it's sold out in two minutes. Now I have to figure out where to get it. And that's interestingly, one of the other things that we've seen too, is that uh, a lot of the products that we actually drop on network end up being on the secondary market selling for double, triple, what we initially dropped it for in the first place. So at the root of what we're doing every day is trying to create those types of experience that our passionate consumers want to see and continuing to grow the categories in which we play on a regular basis. So at the at the nutshell, network is tapping into passion, culture, delivering experiences for, for consumers on a daily basis with thousands of episodes per month. Amazing, amazing. And, you know, just looking at how far you've come, like, it's just incredible. Like you, you've sampling in all kinds of modes as, as well, including NFTs I saw recently. Mm-hmm. So um, we'll come back to that in a minute, but let's, let's talk about hot tech. I think um, for a moment here and, and let's talk about like how we make things accessible. And, and Lee, I remember your career at Patron and like all the new technology you brought in to sample, but it was never really just for the sake of using tech. It was on a mission to have tech help enable your ability for the consumer to get closer to your brand and to really feel like they're part of the brand. And you're doing, you know, I think you started by introducing Oculus at Patron way before uh, anybody was doing that, you know, so you're doing that again here at Wheels Up, whether it be through, you know, your ideas around campaigns or imagery, but like, how are you thinking about you know, creating that sense of connectivity through either technology or imagery or breaking the norm? Yeah, great, great question. Um, and I appreciate the acknowledgement at, at, at Patron. You know, I think for us, the technology is really the empowering backbone for our, our business. Private aviation isn't really anything new. I guess technically the Wright brothers were the first private aviators. Um, but really, it's taking a page out of whether it's the Uber model or Airbnb, you have um, it, you have an opportunity to connect 
demand and supply leveraging technology. And in our space, not unlike the Uber space, there are thousands of private aircraft out there. Um, there are hundreds of thousands, maybe millions, depending on how we look at the addressable market. And we'll talk about that and how we make it more accessible. The trick is to connect the two. And, and it's a very, very murky, um, very analog world. You know, it's kind of like everybody has their guy that they call. It's, it's not dissimilar than the way we bought tickets before StubHub, right? You'd have your ticket broker. Sometimes the tickets would show up. Sometimes they wouldn't show up. Sometimes they were legit. Sometimes they weren't. And the opportunity to safety vet and verify in the case, in our case, or for StubHub to kind of validate these transactions through technology is really the empowering ability to, to connect. And when you do that, you, I mean, look, you, you create a very safe marketplace and safety is first and foremost in everything that we do, um, but you also lower the cost. And when you lower the cost, you create that accessibility. Again, as I said, it's still an incredibly um, you know, unique, special experience. I'm not gonna come out here and talk about the broad democratization of private aviation, but the fact is that when you create a technology-enabled marketplace, you do open the addressable market and make it accessible for a lot of people. Tr traditionally, the view is that private aviation, it was very binary, right? You had private flyers and you had commercial flyers. Some of the folks, Jason, that were on your reel, right? It's like LeBron. Le LeBron doesn't fly like commercial. I get it. He doesn't have to. But most of the world, if they have an opportunity to fly private, it might just be a flight or two, something, a moment that matters. Again, we talk about this experience economy. We're leveraging technology to connect all of that supply, right, with the demand and to do it in a way that is seamless, has integrity, trust, and, and safety. Amazing. And just to hold on to that for a moment, and it was funny because when you said LeBron doesn't fight commercial, I almost said because the seats aren't big enough, but, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but anywho, but let's continue on that because accessibility is very, very important and you've taken it to the next level. It's not just tech, but it's also about making it feel accessible, look accessible from the outside and the inside. So let's talk about the outside perception of private uh, flying and what, what have you done to change the perception of that market? Yeah, so what I would say what we're doing to change it because it is a journey and let's just call it like we see it and keep it real. Um, we, every brand has an obligation to focus on DE&I, private aviation, probably more so than any, right? If you want to find a stereotypical sort of vertical, right? That focused on, I mean, basically rich white guys, right? That's private aviation. And yet, if you look at the landscape of empowered private flyers, they don't look like who we were talking to as marketers. They look like all of us, right? Why are we only, why are we not talking to female CEOs and leaders? Why aren't we talking to African-Americans, to Latinos, to the GLBTQ plus community? It's not always men and women, husband and wife flying together. And, and by the way, these are communities that are flying private, right? But don't have brands that authentically, I think, are connecting with them inside and out. And, and what I mean by that is, it's not only about marketing that looks like the audiences that we're talking to, that sounds like and talks to them in a way that is credible and authentic and cohabitates in media that makes sense. It's also about what's happening inside our business from the boardroom all the way down. And when I say all the way down, I'm not talking about sort of hierarchically, but just think about a diversity message 
But when you board the aircraft, what about your flight crew? What about the men and women in the cockpit? Do they look like the individuals that we want to be on our flights? And so we're investing a lot, both in terms of, I mean, capital, but also our resources and focus on diversity in the cockpit, on the maintenance line, in the management team, certainly on the marketing team. And, and so we're, you know, we're partnering with a variety of organizations really far upstream, for example, in the recruiting pipeline, because it's not like you can just put a, a sign out there and say, hey, diverse hiring for pilots, right? In many cases, we actually have to be the genesis for interest for many, many young men and women to take an interest in the industry. So we're working with like Women Aviation International, the National Gay Pilot Association, um, Organization of Black Aerospace Professionals. We work with the, the Red Tail Flight Academy, um, which is linking with the Tuskegee Airmen to try to create this upstream interest mm -hmm. um, that eventually, eventually downstream is about authenticity, inclusion, and opening the aperture for all. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Thanks, man. And, and Jason, I, I'm, I'm desperate to hear your point of view on this too, but Lee, I think we have a few pictures to underscore what you mean. Shall we um, show a few of them? Yeah, I'm happy to, to do that. And, and listen, I'm, I, I, you know, I, this is a journey. And last year, uh, my, my partner on the leadership team, Steph Chung, who leads uh, growth for the company as our chief growth officer, she partnered with my organization in putting together the first diverse photo shoot, not only for our brand, but quite candidly, I would say in private aviation. And, and I'm just, we just picked a few selects here. You know, these are families, individuals that fly with us today or definitely should be flying with us tomorrow, right? And, uh, and if we're not talking to them credibly, and then as I said, also inside the aircraft, inside our business, we, we really have no hope of the kind of accessibility and inclusion that we all ultimately endeavor for as a company. And I think just one thing to chime in with Lee's point, not only is that the right thing to do, it's what's also gonna grow as business at the end of the day. And that's that's true for private aviation. It's true to what I do. It's previously when I was at Foot Locker, et cetera, et cetera. It's good for society and it's also excellent for business. Yeah. You're so you're so right, Jason. And the, the two aren't at odds, right? I mean, you can satisfy and by the way, uh, you know, create robust value for your shareholders and do the right thing. They're they're just not at odds. Anyone who believes that is full of bullshit. And the one point I, oh, I, I just said there one point I like that. I actually do have another point. But while I was at Network and even, you know, previous larger brands like Pepsi and, and Foot Locker, one of the other things that I also really tried to focus on is a lot of these big companies also have tons of agency partners as well. And not only does your marketing team need to reflect that of your consumer base, the agencies that you're bringing on board to execute the campaigns, the creative strategy that are choosing which media that your purpose that you're choosing also need to be reflective of that as well. So to your point, it's looking at that entire ecosystem internally and externally to ensure that that diversity exists so that whatever your message is, remains true and credible because you have proper representation. Amen. Amen too. And I will also say that the audience is, is agreeing. I'm getting notes and I'm seeing folks say, thank you for your efforts, how important this is. There was a question about, do you fear backlash? Um, and, you know, just let's pause and answer that for just a moment. You know, what, are there repercussions or is, 
do we not care? This time to change the game. Lee, I'll, I'll, I'll let you jump in and I'm more than happy to answer. I would say, I would say, yes, there can be repercussions and no, we don't care. I, I mean, you know, I, yeah, I mean, listen, there's right and there's right. And, and uh, you know, listen, we're in the, we're in pride month right now. Does that resonate with everybody? Absolutely not. But are we incredibly proud to be participating in pride month? And by the way, we do it internally, externally as well. Right. And, and, you know, we, we like to say there's a seat for everyone on our plane. There are some people who don't ascribe to that and, and that's okay. There are other private aviation solutions out there. Um, but we're very, we're very proud. I, I would say that the, the one nuance to that is it is a journey. And so we're very, very thoughtful around how we bring people who are not well-informed, who do not understand, how do you bring them all along on that journey? So, you know, this notion of, you know, shoving it down people's throats as opposed to being very mindful that for some people it's a bridge that's a little further to cross are we mindful of that yes but if people don't want to come along on that journey that's fine find other employment or find other brands so lee and i are absolutely on the same page and the i started off with the fact that that's why i also try to align myself with companies who share the same core values and principles so that if you stick to that North Star, to your point, and we all know this, we're a very divided country. So there's no way that you can make everyone happy all the time. You're not gonna, you're not gonna be able to do your job as a marketer. You're gonna inspire some people and make some people feel as though they can take over the world while some people might be offended. But if, as long as you stick to your North Star and those core values, at the end of the day, it should translate to great marketing, which is great for your business. And again, just accepting the notion that you won't be able to make everyone happy. And that's totally fine, just as, as Lee alluded to. And one of the things that I think are, is very important at Network, which I really, really appreciate, our foundation is the creative community. The creative community are creating all these exclusive coveted products and they come from various different backgrounds. They have, you know, whether it's, um, you know, from a geographical standpoint, ethnicity standpoint, et cetera. And what's great is nowadays we have specific times throughout the year where we get to celebrate those specific communities and put them on a pedestal. And that's usually one of my favorite components is being able to show why, what makes them special. They're different, but that's something that should be celebrated. Absolutely. And we have quite a few questions still coming in on this topic. I promise we're going to cover as many as we can. <laughs> and there's one on what the future holds because of the pending recession, especially when we're talking about the luxury market. So uh, one second, we're going to get to some of those. But um, I do want to ask one of the questions, which is what has been the, res the response so far with these initiatives? Is it working for you? For, so for, I'll for say at least on the network side, um, maybe I don't dig hard enough to actually find all of the negative commentary but a lot of the anecdotal feedback that i have gotten or people were and also another barometer which is really important are you know the people the the employees in our company and how they feel right and so between them between the creative community other you know friends business associates and then also the press i mean the press isn't always right but for the most part i'd say we get overwhelmingly positive support when we are true to that North Star and celebrating those communities and the diversity that exists in the country. Amazing, thank you, Lee. Yeah, I, I think same thing. We have an amazing group of more than 12,000 members. 
um, who, by the way, are quite diverse. Um, there's still obviously a massive opportunity to, to tap into a number of our growth markets. Um, but but um, look, I, I think I'm so proud that they have been very supportive. Um, and, and then externally, I think the most, I think, rewarding thing has been a number of the associations that I've mentioned are just with have welcomed us with open arms because our industry has not traditionally reached out to them. And again, whether it's that really far upstream career development um, in, in an industry that many of these audiences haven't thought about, or individuals who just have never thought about flying private, which is interesting, right? Because they're economically enabled. They don't think twice about flying a premium class in commercial but just haven't thought that that there wasn't necessarily a specific barrier, but it was just the subtle way of saying, you're welcome here, right? You're welcome here. And the response has been, been terrific. But as I said, it's a journey and we're sort of very early days. Amazing. So let's talk about, um, Jason, let's come back to you because this concept of accessibility and inclusivity, you know, Network was one of the first shoppable video platforms out there, but you said something very important the other day you said it is the most relevant live streaming commerce platform connected to culture, uh, which is where that accessibility inclusivity comes into play. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? I know we're we're short on time. I may keep you over a couple of minutes because there's so much to get through. But I just I, let's let's hear what this is. I'll I'll try to be brief. Um, as before, I stated that we our mantra has always been to connect to very specific passion points. And I won't necessarily reference our competition by name, but the biggest difference is the fact that for the most part, anyone can just create an account and go sell something. Lee and I can just, you know, create some random straw baskets and we can sell those on some of those other platforms. Whereas what we do, curation is very, very important. And we spend a lot of time curating and that curating comes to life through ensuring that every single person and product that graces our platform has been deemed credible to what we constitute as relevant to our audience and something that they would want. In addition to that, the vast majority of the team at Network, 150 plus employees, have previously worked in the culture space, contributed in some way, shape or form over the past 30 years. So not only does that give us a very distinct advantage with the experience that you can't just necessarily read in a book, but there's also relationships that come with that as well that provides us access to uh, to get relate to get products and opportunities that didn't otherwise exist. And the last thing I'd say that I that I'm really passionate about is we're also a blank canvas, and we get to really explore that white space territory to create things with creators that no one would have ever previously thought to bring to life in the first place. So all of those ingredients together is what has really made us special in terms of the offering and the value proposition we bring to life at Network. So Jason, we talked about this and what's what's really interesting right now and most vital, I think for many people tuning in is what does it mean from a skill set as a marketer to be quote, able to connect to culture? I myself spent the last year in the metaverse and with NFTs and it couldn't be more important than in that space. Um, but like, what does that mean? Like, how do we think about the talent of the future and the skills we all need to be developing to be culture connectors in, in today's environment? 
So the gr excellent question. And I don't think that there's a perfect answer because I think we would all recognize that culture is a very broad term. There's cowboy culture, there's sports culture, there's aviation culture, et cetera, et cetera. When, when I reference culture, just given that it's been the majority of my career, I'm predominantly talking about youth culture for the most part, which typically involves fashion, apparel, art, music, things of that nature. And it may sound oversimplistic, but I think that experience as it relates to consumption, in addition to an authentic appetite to understand and learn, ends up giving you the best way to really be connected to whatever that culture is. Amazing. And Lee, I'm going to liken it to when I first met you, when you were at Patron, you know, you by design kept sort of a small leadership team because you wanted the ability to plug in to with external partners and leverage sort of that balance of being strategists and experts and being nimble and new to market. Like, how do you think about talent today and helping folks emerge on their path uh, to leadership? Yeah, yeah. I mean, everyone has their own philosophy. This one's worked really well for me and my teams. And I think particularly now with the rapid pace of change in marketing and MarTech specifically, if you build these really big internal teams, right, your ability to pivot, right, to find a tap into that expertise. So you you referenced Oculus, right? I mean, at the time, um, you know, VR, augmented reality was right on the cusp. I had to go to sort of best-in-class agency partners. And I think, you know, Jason, to your point, partners, by the way, that reflect our diversity initiative as well, diversity of thought, diversity of experience, um, where they're from, you know, global footprint, I think allows us to be really, really agile. The flip side of it is, I love to have a tenured core team, particularly in, in our business, people who live the brand, understand it longitudinally, understand the customer journey. Um, private aviation may seem fairly simple on the surface, but the private aviation consumer is pretty complicated. And so I think it's a mixed of, mix of having that accountability, ownership, understanding of the consumer inside your organization and then your ability to just tap into whether it's individuals or agencies or partners or organizations that are moving at the speed of marketing, right? Just incredibly fast. Some of them may develop into long-term strategic partners. Some may be very project-based, but always love that, that model. Always ensures that you just sort of have the best thoroughbreds at all times. Amazing. And so roping in here, one of the earlier questions and going into our final thoughts on the future um, you know, somebody very specifically asked about the luxury good market and the, the pending reception, recession, excuse me, and how you're thinking about that. But let's talk in, in general, and if anybody wants to answer that specific question, what does the future look like? What should we all be preparing for? How do we think about our teams or the future of our skills? And you've given a lot of fodder already, but what are your final thoughts on this matter? And I'm going to go uh, with Jason. Let's start with you. And then Lee, we'll have you take us home. Well, on the recession part, um, I think there's all there's everyone has a bit of apprehension and hope that whatever that ends up might being that we're able to swing the trajectory and, and get out of it because it pretty much does affect everyone. I think as it relates to uh, the future of the team and, and building out organizations, 
in all honesty, I, I stick to a lot of the principles that I had mentioned earlier, as Lee mentioned, you know, go, having a career with various blue chip companies and, you know, even, you know, startups like I am at Network as well. I think as long as you follow those principles, I think that's what's most important because no one can really predict the future. But if you at least have that foundation and core values, for instance, servant leadership is something that I'm going to do, whether it be right now or whether it be 10 years from now, I might be practicing servant leadership in the metaverse with my team in a virtual happy hour. But in the same token, it's still predicated on that servant leadership and, you know, something like empathy, something like empathy in all honesty is something that I started to practice much more uh, intently after the COVID-19 pandemic and the George Floyd uprising, I became much more of an empathetic leader. So whatever happens with the world in terms of where we're going, we know that we're gonna become closer and closer and closer as technology evolves. We know that we're gonna have more spaces to collaborate, consumers are going, their expectations are going to become more and more aggressive as they, you know, they already get same day delivery now. So I don't know what that next thing is gonna be, but. I think sticking to those core values and principles as a leader is what's most important. Thank you. And Lee, take us home. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep it brief, which is hard for me. Your marketers in general. Jason's way more evolved than I. Um, you know, I think as it as it relates to the the, the you know potential recession, I mean, I'm I'm definitely not an economist. I would say though that bring it back around to this idea of the experience economy. That's why experiences matter more than things. And I think what Jason, what you and, and your team and your brand are doing are taking these physical things and building experiences around them, which I think to some degree, my bet is it's going to be an insulator, if not definitely a differentiator, right? I can go buy this Murakami piece or this pair of shoes, but when you can embed it in a broader experience and enrich it, when I have to make choices, there are always choices to be made, but they may be more severe, more dramatic during a recession, I'm going to go to where I can plus up with the experience. I think the same thing for us. Look, private flying is amazing. No one ever flew a private jet and was like, oh, that's overrated, right? It's, it's once you do it, if you could, you do it the rest of your life. But at the end of the day, we're a means to an end, right? We're an experienced facilitator. People aren't getting on the plane to fly the plane. They're getting on the plane to go to a destination, but that journey can and should be an amazing experience and a moment that matters. And when an experience, when an economy tightens, look, we're at that very, very tip of the spear, right? I still think it's going to fundamentally come down to, even for the very rich, it's going to come down to experiences that matter to me, whether it's seeing family, connecting, you know, it might be business, connecting with the people that I love and doing it in a way that is truly meaningful and different. And we're going to continue to facilitate those moments that matter, recession or not. Amazing. Well, thank you both so much for being here today for the extra time. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for sharing your experiences, your guidance, and all the cool things that you're doing. We thank you for your efforts and have a wonderful day, everyone. Thank you, Nadine. Thank you. Thank you, Lee. Visionaries is brought to you in partnership with The Wall Street Journal and made possible by our parent company, 24-7. To find out more about the Marketers That Matter community, visit marketersthatmatter.com. And finally, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Please leave us a rating or review and let us know what you think.